0: Today, I want to talk about five ways that we can fight for our families. And to begin, I want us to open our Bibles or our devices to Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. In this short correspondence to a young church with a young pastor, Paul takes his time in the first half to make sure that the Ephesian families understand their royal heritage in Christ. He repeats over and over, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And then in the final half of the letter, Paul, the one who planted this church in Ephesus, he takes time to get very, very practical with this dynamic topic we're going to talk about today, family life. Right before he gives a short discourse on marriage and parenting and spiritual warfare, which was probably no accident, he says this in Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16. He says this, look at it together. Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time or the opportunity because the days are evil. He's saying that doing family well takes wisdom. Moses had said something similar years before this. In Psalm ninety twelve. he says this, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It was Christmas morning, 1987, and I was eight years old when I learned that life was breakable. My grandfather, Jimmy Willard as I call him, was sitting across the room amongst the rest of our family. And of course, the youngest went first in opening gifts. So I began tearing in to a remote control car. Then the phone rings. And after my grandfather walks into the other room to pick up this old yellow rotary phone, I heard the weeping of a man who had just lost his first love, his mom. That day, as we sat around in the beauty of Christmas morning, I learned that death has a sting and that brokenness is no respecter of person or days, not even my grandfather, not even on Christmas morning. Like Paul said, the days are evil. Truth is, brokenness shows up in every family, and every one of you could tell your own stories of death's sting and sin's effects within your family dynamics. But the gospel is clear on this point. One day soon, brokenness will be swallowed up by beauty. And one day soon, families will be reunited with loved ones who have been lost to tragedy or time. But until then, how do we fight for our families in this crazy, fearful world? And how do we build in the midst of so much brokenness? It can all be so overwhelming. So, I asked four of New Heights finest staff members who are also parents, sons, daughters, and spouses, by the way, I asked them to give us a few thoughts about cultivating a posture of grace and gratitude during the fearful season of history in which we now find ourselves. They nailed it. And as you listen to them, you're gonna hear themes of embracing grief, pursuing connection with the prodigal when it's hard, Seeing opportunity, even in the midst of obstacle, and then honoring those who went before us. If you'll listen closely, you'll hear a little about how they fight for their own families. Could I just take a minute and say that these are New Heights heroes. In the midst of their own lives and their own struggles, they take time out to invest into our sons and daughters. These are also a few of the folks that, uh, on our staff who are constantly serving our city in ways that go way beyond the job description. And it wouldn't be a family Sunday if we didn't give you a sneak peek behind the scenes into the hearts and lives of Char- Charity, Chad, Brad and Val.
1: Hey guys, my name's Charity and I have the joy of pastoring children and families at new heights. And I'm excited that today I get to share with you some of what God's been teaching me uh, during this isolation. So I'm an optimist by nature And it's been really difficult for me to admit that this has been hard, but a good friend gave me permission to just say, this is really hard. And so I want to do that for you today. If you're grieving, it's okay. And if you feel like you can't gain control right now because things are constantly changing and there's so much uncertainty, it's okay. And while we're being honest, let's just say that no one's really enjoyed all of this isolation. No one's kids have been playing board games every day with big smiles and no tears. And no one has appreciated all the extra time they've been locked up with their roommate. And no one's cooking all their meals from scratch. But I can tell you that some things that have comforted me in this season have been digging into the word. In fact, in the Psalms, David writes a lot about his troubles. But he also shows us how to call out to God and how to find peace and hope in a season of suffering. And I can say that worship has also been really, really critical. It gives me an eternal perspective and it helps me find joy that's outside of my circumstances. And I don't want you to do this alone. I hope that you'll call a friend. I hope that you'll call me and share your heart and ask for prayer. It's changed things for me. And I think it'll change
2: things for you too. As a new dad, one of the most amazing things that I didn't expect was how connected I feel with this little one. She doesn't know what I'm saying and I can't understand what she's thinking, but yet I feel so united with her through love. Why is it then that so many parents, after years, you feel disconnected from your child? You speak the same words, but it feels like a different language. And I know for many students, they come into our ministry feeling loved and known by their parents. And then by the end, they feel like they're roommates in a house Rather than family. I bet many in their 30s, 40s, and 50s watching know what this feels like and still feel this way with their parents. But there's nothing more that God would love than to reconnect parents with their children. And parents, don't give up hope. God is a God of hope, and He's not done working in your family yet. And so now is the perfect time to have that conversation, that heartfelt conversation, reconciling you with you and your children. So whether you're 73 or 37, Do it. Now is the time. You can do this. God's with you. You can have that connection again.
3: Hey, good morning, New Heights family. I want to take a minute and talk about the opportunity that might literally be sitting next to you. In children's ministry, we use the word opportunity a lot with our volunteers to remind them of the incredible opportunity they have each and every week to speak truth into the lives of the kids in their small groups and to their families. As we look throughout scripture, we often see kids are present and participating in many of the rituals feasts and gatherings Their presence and participation was integral and intentional in their faith formation. but in our culture we myself included often see kids as an obstacle to the things we want to get done the tasks we want to accomplish or the way we want to do something so I want to challenge us as a body to change our perspective from obstacle to opportunity and this isn't just for parents this is for all believers so I want to challenge you, think about the kids that are in your sphere of influence. They might be in your community group. They might be in your neighborhood. They might be your nieces and nephews. Maybe write their names down. Begin praying for them. and Begin looking for opportunities to speak truth into their lives. We all have a role to play in the, in the discipleship of the next generation. Thank you.
4: Hey church, it's such an honor to get to share with you today on this Family Sunday. This is also my first Mother's Day as a mom, and let me first just say that I'm so grateful for all you parents out there. This is such valuable work. This matters so much in the kingdom of God, and I'm just grateful for each of you today. And I also want to speak into us because we are all kids. We are all someone's kid, we're someone's son, someone's daughter, and they're has been someone, whether biological or not, who has come into our life, who has done their best to take care of us and to parent us. Not perfectly, not without fault, but they've done their best. And so I'm just reminded that we are called as God's children to also honor the parents that God's given us on this earth. That we are called to love, to forgive, to serve, even when it doesn't make sense, even if we've been hurt, We are called to do those things. And so I just want to encourage you today as kids, as God's kids and as kids to parents on this earth, would we rise up and would we honor them and love them in the way that Christ has asked us to and trust that he will be glorified and he will be honored through that.
0: Whatever else you do today, don't miss the opportunity to let our team just know and hear how grateful you are for them that they're fighting for you. You can even drop a comment right now in the comment section of the chat box on Facebook. You know, great families don't happen by accident. It takes intentionality, time, energy. It takes a team, a village. Great families are, are marked by memories of good, bad, and ugly. Some of the greatest memories we share as a family happened at Disney World, of course. There was the time that we got stuck in the Haunted Mansion at the scariest part of the ride, uh, to the times that we searched the entire park for all the hidden Mickeys, uh, to the time that we ate in Cinderella's Castle. That was awesome. If you've ever visited the magical world of Walt, you've likely experienced the fast-paced ride called Space Mountain. It's located in Tomorrowland. It's one of my favorites. It's a roller coaster in the dark. And the first time you ride this thing, you have no idea what's coming, but, but it's coming fast. There are spots of light, but mostly just uncertainty and obscurity. You find your car swerving around bins that you didn't know were there and then dropping 50 feet into a virtually pitch black environment. It's what makes the ride fun, but it can also be terrifying. In essence, you go really fast It's really dark and you have no idea what's coming next. Fighting for our families in this season of history can feel a lot like Space Mountain. We're going really fast. The lights have gone out for sure and none of us have any idea what's around the next corner. It's in this context that fear threatens to destroy what God is trying to develop in our families. I want to say that again. Fear will destroy what God wants to develop. Fear is the greatest enemy of your fight. It'll paralyze us. Fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of losing control, fear of letting go, fear of disappointing. Um, It causes us to do and believe irrational things. It hijacks our ability to think clearly. It pushes us into survival mode. It reveals the worst in us. And when fear is in the lead, Jesus is not, and fear robs us of a wisdom and it pushes us into a place of worry. With that, I want us to turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 4. Let me set a context before we look at the main text for today. Uh, In Nehemiah and Ezra, we see a people trying to build a future and a family in the midst of one of the greatest national crises they had ever experienced. These two books first existed as a single composition. It showed the Israelites, this nation who had come back to their land, that they were still God's people, that they were still the apple of his eye despite the years of exile and and the difficulties that they had experienced since their return. In the ancient world, a city without walls was helpless before its enemies. And now Jerusalem was without walls and vulnerable. And to have her walls once again complete was evidence of divine favor. And it meant something significant. Life can go on again. So through Nehemiah's leadership, God enabled his people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It took just 52 days, but it wouldn't happen without a fight. In the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, we're introduced to a pair of men named Sanballat and Tobiah who the text says weren't just angry, they were angry and greatly enraged. What does that mean? And so they were outraged. Nehemiah's plan says that when they heard the work was going forward to rebuild the walls, they and all who were with them, they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. That's exactly what happened. The people of Israel became discouraged Uh, They became weary in their task, just like we do in our families. The people were afraid for their families. They were afraid for their future. And if that weren't enough, there were other Israelites, their own people who lived close by, who were discouraging them. They were discouraging the completion of their work because it was going to be too dangerous. And then encouraging them, actually get this, to go back to exile. That's crazy. But this is the context for Nehemiah's leadership. And in many ways, it's the context that we're living in today. We're trying to build a future and a family in the midst of one of the greatest national crises that we've ever experienced. Before we go to the scripture itself, I want to say something really important. I believe in this generation. I believe in you. And over the past several years, I've met some of the most incredible young people, members of Gen Z and the late millennials. And I think they sense the serious, seriousness of the hour. And I see a generation who's hungry to fight for our families. They're looking to us to lead them. With that in mind, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14.
2: Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Who
4: is great and awesome.
5: Who is great and awesome and
4: fight. And fight, 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 fight,
5: fight, 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 fight
4: for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your hosts. Nehemiah 4:14.
5: Hey church, my name is Noah Epstein and I'm a part of our youth team here in New Heights. And I just wanted to encourage you today at the book of Nehemiah. In the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, unexpected opposition comes to Nehemiah and his team as they're rebuilding the walls. And when, this, when these enemies come to harm them and the opposition comes, the first thing Nehemiah tells these people to do is, hey, go protect your family, go protect your house, Go protect what God has given you authority over in your household. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you today. He's doing the same thing today. When unexpected opposition comes from the things of life and the world and the enemy, when they come against you, you fight for what God's given you. You fight for your family. Hey, parents, I want to remind you, you've been given spiritual authority over your household, over your family. Take that up. Use that no pastor can ever take that place that's your authority he's given you i encourage you pray the kingdom down into every nook and cranny of your family pray the kingdom and declare it over your prodigal don't stop praying for them they need it now more than ever and hey students kids pray for your parents they need it too pray they'd be filled with the holy spirit Spirit. Pray that they would have wisdom with decision making. Pray that God would use your family to shake the nation with His love. So let's fight for what God's given us, families. I love you all. I miss you. See ya.
0: So now let's look at five ways to fight for our family. I'm going to go fast, so the next five minutes may feel a little like Space Mountain. Um, you can go to uh, apps and websites like like ParentQ. Uh, to become more equipped in ways that you can fight for your family. Um, But the first way to fight for your family is this. You need to develop a shared story. When Nehemiah encouraged the people to remember the Lord, he was saying, remember how the Lord came through for you. Remember how he came through for your ancestors. And then tell those stories when you're sitting at the table. Recall his faithfulness and let that produce faith. This generation, honestly, they're starving for a shared story. They want to know that their family, that their people are part of something meaningful and adventurous, dangerous even, and beautiful. Parents, it's our job to shape the narrative of our family's shared story. So for those of you with elementary age children or younger, our children's ministry has done an amazing job of developing an age-appropriate lesson with activities to help uh, guide your discussion with your children. Um, It won't take long, but the benefits from these intentional, God-focused conversations could be eternal. You'll find these resources on the watch page of the New Heights website. Let's look at a second way. The second way we can fight for our family is to pray together. I know this may sound obvious, but it bears repeating. Uh, Bob Sorge wrote a book called Secrets of the Secret Place, and he says this, all hell has one strategy, and that is to keep us and our families from the place of prayer. Over and over again, we see in Nehemiah that his strategy against opposition was prayer and fasting. One of the things that we've done this year uh, as a family was to start a prayer jar, and honestly, I'm I'm probably batting about 250 in that right now. Um, So, but each night, what we do is we take a few moments and pray together, um, and then we drop a little stone of remembrance into the prayer jar. This keeps us accountable and it helps us remember uh, the prayers that are being stored up for our family, each of us. Let's look at a third way that we can fight for our family. We need to play together. Parents, you probably should let your kids lead the way here. As adults, we can become way too serious We need to give our our kids permission to lead us into play. Now, we're super competitive around our house. Uh, We play Catan, squares. We play games on the switch, one, two, switch. It's a lot of fun. Uh, We also like to work out as a family in our garage and driveway, and we'll do box jumps, different workouts, hit baseballs, do handstands, gymnastics, all of that stuff. Meanwhile, we've we've been known to throw some old school Fresh Prince of Bel-Air episodes on the TV behind us. It kind of keeps the whole thing fun. I think this, I think fun is like an oil that keeps the family vehicle happy and healthy. So make sure you're having fun, play together. The fourth way to fight for our family is to eliminate hurry from our lives. Now I'm borrowing this language from a fantastic book several of the staff read earlier this year called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's been one of the greatest opportunities about this season actually is that We've had to slow down. Um, We've been forced to. We've been forced to uh, pray more, play more, tell more stories. And and if you're like us, we were way too busy, way overextended. Uh, John Mark Comer in this book writes this. Love is painfully time-consuming. All parents know this, as do lovers and most long-term friends. There's no shortcuts, no life hack, no killer app. Love and hurry are oil and water. They simply do not mix. All of my worst moments as a husband and a father, a neighbor or friend are when I'm in a hurry, late for an appointment, behind on my unrealistic to-do list, trying to cram too much into my day. I ooze anger, tension, a critical nagging, the antithesis of love. And I can just say, I'm also guilty of this. Let's look at a final way to fight for our family. We need to be speaking grace and gratitude. We need to be making forgiveness and thankfulness a culture of our home. I tell my kids often that the most powerful three phrases in the world are, please, thank you, and I'm sorry. Again, none of this happens by accident. It takes repetition. I wanna close with a simple story. When our family was living in Peru and I was reading through the book of Exodus with my son, uh, my firstborn, Lucas. Don't give me too much credit. I'm pretty sure it was a school assignment. So, But he, here's what happened as I was reading. Exodus 13, 13. This is what it says, okay? You'll get the idea. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn among uh, of men among your sons you shall redeem. At that exact moment, my eight-year-old son stopped me, looked at me in the eyes, and said, Dad, What does this mean? And before I responded, my eyes happened to glance down at the next passage of Scripture. And I read it silently to myself, thankfully. And this is what verse 14 says. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him. In that moment, I almost lost my mind, but I tried to play it cool and hold it together. But the weight of God was in the room and I knew it. He knew that I had a fear of failing my family. He knew I needed to hear his voice. He knew me better than I knew myself. So I showed Lucas God was speaking to us in that moment. And then I simply read the verses 14 and 15. And when time come to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that are first to open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. This shall be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt." Bottom line, the sacrifice of a firstborn to redeem a firstborn. God was reminding me that by his strong hand, he had made a way for my family. It cost him everything. It cost him his firstborn, but he had fought for us and he had won. He was with us. And as we fight for our families, don't be afraid of the opposition. Remember the Lord. Our father is fighting with us and he's fighting for us. That's what family is all about.